Hello, welcome to the Tiny Plastic People podcast, the podcast about tiny plastic people. We paint them, we play with them, we're here to tell you why we think that's great. This is the sister podcast to the website tinyplasticpeople.com, which is a collaborative blog project between uh, several committed hobbyists. My name's Rich, I've been in the hobby for about six years now. I play pretty much everything, but uh, you know, as much as I'm passionate about gaming, painting is my favourite part of the hobby, so that's what I'm here for, really. I'm also joined today by Tom and Pete. Pete, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? I'd love to. Uh, I'm Pete, aka Fienya, on the internet. Um, I've been back in the hobby since 2014, after the traditional teen phase. Um, I play pretty much everything. Um, bit of an army painter. I like to paint in quantity. Um, but I also moderate the lovely role models community, which we're all part of. And Tom, how about you? Uh, hi, I'm I'm Tom. I have been in the hobby on and off since I was about thirteen. I would say I'm probably a gamer more than I am a painter in normal times, at least. Mostly AOS and 40k. But just recently, I have been getting a bit into Warcry because it is one of the best games to play against yourself in an empty room. <laughs> Very important at the moment. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit more later about um, some topics we've brought to the table, what we've been thinking about at the moment. But first, we're going to talk about our hobby. So Tom, what hobby have you been doing lately? This month I have been... Uh, I've not been doing one consistent thing. Um the start of the year, I always end up painting lots of little projects as I try and uh, finish things off. Uh, so this month, that has been some Inquisition stuff, because I have got a vague Inquisition-y force mm. that is usually that is like an Inquisitor and assorted interesting weirdos. Yeah, I've seen that at a um, few events that we've met up at, and it's very lovely. Lots of cool conversions. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I didn't get the chance to bring it to the Inquisitor 28 thing, but um, if something like that happens again, I should probably bring it along. Uh, I've been trying to finish them off with a squad of scions. Uh, the less said about which, the better. <laughs> and it, um, Oh, I no. I've, <laughs> I've not been enjoying them tremendously. Is that just the painting not, process? Let's not dwell on that. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything nice at all. They're lovely models. What I have been enjoying was the squad of Death Watch I did. Uh, so I bought into them when they first came out, I think, which means that this this squad has been on my uh, painting pile for several years. Yeah, now. I think that was about when I was rejoining, actually. So say. 2014, seven yeah. years ago, question yeah. mark. It predates <laughs> my, my rejoining of the hobby in any seriousness, I think, so some uh yeah some considerable time uh and it was only ever a a squad of 10 um uh so i they they say that black is a really hard color to do so i tried to find a lazy way of doing that and borrowed something from uh Kieran Gillen's twitter mm. uh which is black templar contrast over lead belcher spray paint so that's so almost like a metallic uh, finished yeah. black. Yeah, it's it comes out quite nicely. Yes. Mm. Um, so as with as with contrast over metal, I think it goes really well if you do a little bit of recess shading and dry brushing. Right. 
as well as right yeah and then and then kind of just slot the contrast on and it's okay for power armor if you keep your eye on it Mm -hmm. and don't let it pool in weird places um and that's turned out pretty all right uh so that was like all of the basic color armor done for them in about 20 minutes wow Full um, ten, pretty excellent. Yeah, it was nice and nice and easy. I really should get into contrast. I, I hardly use it. I bought like twenty of the paints and just never really use them, except for like skin or organic surfaces. Speaking as a lazy painter, it, <laughs> it, it, it it's great if you plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great if you know specifically what you're trying to do with it. And once that was done, it was just the the interesting individual Death Watch bits. Um, I tried some freehand on a shoulder pad and didn't make a complete fool of myself. Hell yeah. Nice self-development. You've done some some awesome shoulder pads on that Death Watch squad. Some really oh, this was the, chapters, um, right? the, the Mantis yes. Warriors. I yes. remember them because uh, I was going to collect, I, I, you know, I think like common with a lot of other people in this hobby, uh, I've attempted to collect different Space Marines about half a dozen times, <laughs> and Mantis Warriors were one of my attempts. I'm the same. I've got a graveyard of like half-painted Space Marine test models, just sort of never <laughs> to receive any further attention because something else has distracted me. Well, we know the truth now. If it ain't a Legion, I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the other thing I've done this month is um, in the practice podcast, I made a joke about how I read and enjoyed Saturnine and could end up getting a uh, could end up getting a very expensive, very hard to paint Imperial Fist Legion army. And uh, I went ahead and did that. Um, I got a I got a copy of Burning of Prospero and uh, practicing painting yellow on a couple of those. Hell yeah. Awesome. More 30k players. I will always get behind this initiative. Yeah, yeah. 30k is the secret of Space Marines that everyone loves to paint. Exactly. It's because they're all basically the same color. It's so quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would know? Yeah. So long as so long as you choose a sensible color, like not not yellow, for example, yellow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think I've got a reasonable method for that. That's like base wash, dry brush, and it's uh. It's not going to stand up to particularly close scrutiny, but I think for effectively a horde army, which mm. is what Legion armies are, I think it's going to turn out all right. Having seen your test model, I think it looks rad. Yeah. Very, very crisp yellow. The the thing that I feel sums up my painting, which is a, uh, a friend of mine once saw my Eldar army when I took that to a... Uh, tournament mm-hmm. and he he saw it from a distance and said wow now this is painting and then he went over to it and picked up one of the models and looked at it closely and said oh <laughs> <laughs> that's outrageous that, that is a friend with tax so, wow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i think I, I think my painting abilities are a testament to choosing good color schemes mm-hmm. and uh how how nice how nice any masked army looks i think yeah uh yeah but that's what i've worked on awesome how about you pete what have you been up to well usually i'm a sort of small whirlwind of activity when it comes to hobby stuff but for reasons that will become obvious in my second segment uh i haven't been painting that much Uh, i just finished up 10 cultists for my sort of 
nascent Black Legion Chaos Space Marine Army. Um, and they're they're weird models because obviously they're like on the, on the tabletop they're trash. They're like you know mooks to just pick up by the handful and throw into a bin. <laughs> but they're so detailed, and each one of them is a a sort of sexy man with abs that you have to individually paint. And it's just I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. For, for a horde unit, I painted 10 of them, finished them up the other day, and it must have taken me three or four days of, like, you know, working on them every now and again. Yeah. I like this. This is why, as previously mentioned, I like 30k, because you paint a space marine, all the same colour, you pick out the, the trim, maybe, on the, um, the shoulder pad, highlight, done. Make their knees dusty, yeah. if you want. You do it 60 more times. Yeah, and, and then you're, you're done. done. Paint a vehicle once if you're feeling fruity. <laughs> maybe, maybe you do a Primark, and that's just a really big oh, space marine. Yeah, nice. What is oh, Primark yeah. if not a big space marine? A big boy. The um, that does really kind of make you think. Sometimes those cultists—they're a bit of an mm. older kit now, but they're still really nice individual models. Mm. But when there's so few points each on the table, like yeah. you said, you're kind of yeah. sweeping them off by the armful. Yeah. The I mean, being individuals is a bit concerning. For sure. It shouldn't matter to me because I really measure my progress on a model-by-model model basis, so anything's as good as anything else. Um, but you still can't help but have that feeling at the back of your head. Um, and I mean, other than that, I've just been sort of chipping away at the, the few final Chaos Space Marine models that I've owned and um, thinking about buying a lot of Terminators. As is the tradition. Excellent. Um, I can really get on board with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I know that you're a, a Terminator man, and so am I. <laughs> but yeah, no, not not loads of activity for me. I mean, the, the only other thing I've really been in the hobby headspace with is um, thinking about doing more 30k stuff. I mean, I have three and a half thousand points of Blood Angels painted about 2,000 points of Sons of Horus. So I think I could probably expand the Sons of Horus without it being too outrageous. But what to do? That's the question. I think maybe a bit... Have you got Horus himself yet? I do. And uh, yeah, he's 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 looking hot, if you don't mind my saying about my own painting. <laughs> Speaking of painting black armor being a ball lake, that really was. But um, Worth it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll look into some of the other special characters they have converting project bit of a malagus the twisted perhaps oh that'd be a good one there's not a there's not yeah. a forge world model for no him, official model no could be a fun conversion project how about yourself rich um a few different things i've been working on this month um i'm working on getting a couple of commissions off of my plate uh i've just picked up another one which I donated as a charity prize to oh, wow. uh, the Hobby Rooms Mind fundraiser that they did recently. Raised a load of money for Mind, the mental health charity. That's super cool. So, what did you um, contribute to that? So I offered a um, like a character commission, including buying the character off of mm-hmm. Element Games. Um, the person that won it was after some older vampires and undead stuff. So I have a a female vampire lord and a necromancer to paint. And 
said, if you paint them both for me, I will make another donation. So I've now signed up for wow. more of my time. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I'm about to start those. It seems like I've got carte blanche on how I paint them. So we might go for some kind of um, real gothic horror themes. Um, a big hobby milestone for me recently is getting an airbrush working. So I'm, yeah, I'm suddenly tempted to do lots of like source lighting and glazing that maybe was previously something I couldn't really be bothered to do with a brush. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's those. Um, As part of that stream, I also did a paint along with uh, the host, Kerry, and painted Void Dragon. Catan shard of the void dragon for my yeah, neck. Such good, such good model to like. I don't know. It's almost like a blank slate for doing whatever you want with. Because people do all sorts of different effects and so yeah. forth. It makes a really nice centerpiece. So, I think everyone that I've seen do one has approached it in kind of a different way. Mm. But because it's so unlike most of the Necrons that it's going to sit mm. beside, it's a really good opportunity to make a centerpiece that actually stands out. Yeah, so, really draws the eye. So like, I have a monolith. I really enjoy painting the monolith, but my Necrons are silver and blue, and the monolith is a big silver and blue blob. Yeah, it's like complementary as yeah. opposed to additive, right? Yeah. Whereas my Void Dragon, I've done the skin or the body gold, mm-hmm. which is just kind of the like elite highlight colour on most of the rest of the Necrons, so it really stands yeah. out. And then there's loads of the energy and lightning coruscating around him. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> it was quite intimidating to try and make it happen in a weekend, mm. but it did. Um, I'm happy with it. Yeah, it looked great. Rapidly running out of Necron things to paint. Well, in fact, I've got no more Necrons to paint, and there's only a few more things that I haven't done from the web store now. Um, Just got to get that new Kill Team expansion, eh? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I will be after <laughs> some played ones at some point, whether they come uh, from a split of that or... Once they're released separately, we'll see. Uh, other than that, a bit similar to yourself, Pete. Like, not done a huge amount of hobby, especially compared mm. to how much I did last year. I've definitely slowed down after Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you were ridiculous last year. Well, how many models did you paint in the end? Uh, just over five hundred, I think. But yeah, you know, absolutely outrageous. At the incredible cost <laughs> of. <laughs> well, Sanity? any other social activity and my <laughs> mental health. So. <laughs> Yeah, what was different about last yeah. year? Hmm. Can't put my finger on when it. We're listening back to this in two years' time. We'll just think we were all really productive and not think of any <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> situations around it. Uh, yeah, so slow down a bit. Um, I've been doing some building, so similar to both of you, I'm thinking about Heresy. I've got an Iron Warriors army sitting somewhere just above 2,000 points now, and I'm adding a few things to that, so more Terminators and another Dreadnought and a few little support characters to do. Ooh, didn't know you are getting another Dreadnought. That's exciting. Yeah, so it was a an eBay purchase. I wasn't sure which army I was going to uh, put him in, but I think Iron Warriors is going to win. Yeah, the other possibility would be to put him in with my Custodies, uh, which are kind of my upcoming... Of course, upcoming they can take they actually take... Can they actually take Contemptors in 30k? I'm not 100% sure on that. You know, 
Neither am I. Like normal contempt. They've they've got their fancy kind of contempt uh, for definite. Yeah. So I've got one of the I think it's the Galatus with the sword and shield. Yes. Uh, and I've got the guy. big Telamon, and I've got a load of troops ready, kind of ready. I've painted a test model. Um, you're right. I'm not sure. I probably can. I just there's so many weirds like, you know. You can take this in 40k and not 30k, and vice versa. Yeah. Sort of scenarios with that, with the things that you can take in both. For more details, please read my article on <laughs> tinyplasticpeople.com. There's definitely, there's definitely something you could ally in. Yeah. Like if uh, paint it as an ultramarine yeah, yeah. or something, and trad. staple a character to it and ally it in. Yeah, that's very things. true. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Although I think I might just paint it as an Iron Warrior and yes. reinforce Perturabo's Legion instead. Yeah. Um, other than that, that's pretty much it. Lots of thinking, lots of building for a change. I'm not a big ba- fan of building, so... Yeah, I'm the same. Prefer to paint. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only other thing I've been thinking about doing is painting an ultramarine. Uh, there's been a lot of talk on everyone's favourite dustbin Twitter. Uh, <laughs> the hashtag March for Macrag. Lots of people committing to paint some ultramarines over March. You know, I only got that that's what it meant. Um, when you said it most recently, <laughs> I just thought, oh yeah, it's that thing that they say in the books. Yeah, I, it's... It turns out if it's happening over March, there's a little bit of wordplay as well. Weird coincidence. Yeah, I never put two and two together there. It's one of those puns I've been hearing about. <laughs> May the fifth be with you. Yeah. So I've got no no real desire to do a whole force of ultramarines because they were the first thing I did when I got back into hobby. I did a little. Primaris Ultramarines Force. But um, that new Uriel Ventris model is quite tempting. That might be a nice one off project mm. to do. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe. Probably should just paint something from the big box of shame slash potential. <laughs> Choose as you see fit. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just nice to buy a model and paint it straight away. Yeah. Okay, so lots of nice hobby going on. Uh, but we've also brought some other topics to talk about, uh, about our thoughts or experiences recently in wargaming and a wargaming hobby. Uh, in no particular order, Pete, what do you want to talk about today? So, as I mentioned very uh, cryptically in my uh, hobby section, uh, my time has been taken up by a mysterious activity that previously hadn't inf- infringed on my hobby time, which is called buying a house. Oh god, it's horrible, but also you get a house from it. Um, so what I wanted to talk about was, like, and I think this is part of the hobby that is sort of like the most wildly impractical part of it. Um, gaming spaces, like, do you have one? How is it set up? Um, you know, so like at the moment, because I'm I was saving up for a house, um, I'm living with mum and dad. So if I want to have a game in my own house, I have to wheel out these two giant uh, foldable tables, you know, get the battle mat down, uh, get the terrain from my room down, unpack it all. And obviously with the potential of the, a new space that's all mine, I'm very tempted to just sort of have a room where all that stuff can live all the time. Um, and that's obviously, I'm very lucky that that's even an option for me. Um, Cause I think a lot of people, 
even if they wanted to do that, probably couldn't. I know me and you have played at your house before, um, Rich, but that was also a similar case of like, let's make a temporary space for this, which will then be removed, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it was those self-same foldable tables that you mentioned. Yes. I had to get you to bring the playing surface to Indeed. me. Um, <laughs> which was very amusing, carting about five loads of stuff back and forth from your car. But, uh-huh. Um, Whilst wearing a, a mask. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> distancing and all that. This is, we yeah. should say, for the sake of social distancing, this was like last July, something like that. Yeah, June, July. It was in between lockdowns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think that was my last in-person game of uh, of Hams. Yeah. So it's a fond memory. But yeah, I think like there's something about the size of table that Games Workshop has picked for these games, which is yeah. utterly unlike any table that is sold by any other <laughs> human entity in the world. Like nobody nobody sells a six by four dinner table, as far as I can tell. Mm. And it's just this bizarre thing where you you know some people like to put uh boards over a table they already have um sometimes it's collapsible tables or like custom built tables i don't know know if any of you guys have ever looked at those things they are not cheap no i mean you're just making the ultimate hobby purchase now (laughs) yeah a uh... (laughs) A big warehouse to keep it in aka a home yeah i mean it makes it makes those tables seem cheap in comparison maybe but they are still (laughs) <laughs> several armies worth of money aren't they oh yeah. yeah i mean if you have to say compared to a literal house this is cheap mm, it's yeah. going to be an expensive <laughs> item it's not the ultimate justification maybe uh-huh they are at least changing the standard size of the table now um 40k like yes for, yeah for 40k and for their various uh a fair few of their specialist games now play on smaller tables so you can use their yeah the skirmish games uh you can use their cardboard things and it'll fit on um it'll fit on a large coffee table if you're mm. lucky that kind of thing like kill team and uh Warcry will do that right yeah. 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 So, what are they? Is it forty-four by sixty? The official forty. Yeah, it's something ridiculously specific. It's something equally equally weird to that. The Games Workshop proprietary uh, cardstock board size yeah. brackets yeah. TM. Yeah, I think it's it's just four of those in a rectangle, isn't it? So cool. Ah, well, so if you got yeah. what was a gaming space part of your you're planning while you're looking at houses it's 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 a bit awkward to say to an estate agent you know this is not going to be a bedroom <laughs> this is going to be a place where i enact tiny warfare uh with my internet <laughs> I, friends when they come round. Um, i appreciate that you're planning on putting a child in here but yeah. we actually have different ideas <laughs> i have a lot of children but they're all inanimate plastic war dolls <laughs> um what you gonna call him? Uh, Horus? <laughs> <laughs> Have you met my son, Horus? No. Um, but yeah, the, the, genuinely part of the, the house hunting process for me, and I'm aware this makes me an incredibly tragic man, but I'm I'm okay with it. Um, is can I fit a six by four table in here and also walk around it? Um, and I mean some some of the bedrooms you get in houses these days. The answer is no, and that that's horrible. <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm I think luckily for myself I managed to get a three bedroom house. Uh and I think the front 
larger bedroom is probably going to become a gaming room, possibly slash office. Um, so I could do painting as well as gaming in there. That's a, that's pretty good. If you can work yeah. one room that is your mm. hobby room, and there's a room yeah. where you have a game as well, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty big win. I think so, and it avoids the need to sort of you know colonize a lounge or a kitchen or something with a <laughs> with a gaming table if you're doing it that way. Yeah, I do think it it's gonna require some discipline, and this isn't a commentary on you in particular, but you see. <laughs> all the time photos from people on Twitter, on Facebook groups of their like hobby room Mm -hmm. and it's a gaming board and a painting desk and set of shelves and every single flat surface is just covered in boxes or (laughs) unpainted models or, you know, like to clear a table to do some painting or have a game would be a gargantuan task. Yeah, a task in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I do worry a little bit. I mean, my I'll life feels like good. that in my one small room. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a hoarding instinct at the heart of the hobby that you have to fight mm. against as best you can. Yeah, yeah for Definitely. sure. I suppose th- yeah, th- this sort of difficulty is really the reason we have you know gaming spaces that aren't your own house or your own flat or what have you. Yeah, I mean. There are places local to us that we could go. I, I don't know. There's something nice about yeah. having a game in your own house. That's what I've found. Yeah, it goes both just, ways, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's nice to have a game in your house. Very good to be also able to... Also wildly like... impractical. Yeah, it can be wildly impractical. It's nice to you know, be able to just sit on the sofa after you've played the game or have a break mm. midway. But equally, Pete, Watch I come for a game... TV preview. <laughs> If I come for a game at your house, I can't impulsively buy a tank. So yeah, you'd have to do that very purposefully. Yeah, it's um. Say, so, look, look, Pete, look at my phone. I'm ordering a tank now. You did this to me. <laughs> yeah, so it is nice to go and patronise yeah. gaming stores and you know purchase something from them and justify mm-hmm. it to yourself as helping the store that has helped you by providing gaming space. Cool. Anything else that you'd like to say about gaming spaces? Or Tom, anything else that you'd like to contribute? I I don't have anything much to add to this. I've never lived in a place where I could have had a elaborate gaming space. The best that I've got is that I bought the uh, Shattered Dominion? I can't see it from here. Um, the, the AOS board that they did a while back uh-huh. that was the cardboard boards and some plastic uh little ruins oh right yeah. uh so i've got i've got one of those um and that uh, that packs up into a small enough box i can if i want to i can clear off uh my work desk and it fits on there and have a game of Warcry on that mm. if i wanted to um and that's you know it's uh it, it'll get you by it'll get you by for a game of Warcry or a game of kill team or something it's nice to have options that um yeah, I mean that is the beauty of those smaller games is that it doesn't yeah. require a table with a massive ludicrous footprint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've got a a four by four folding table that or folding table top that fits on the dining table that a very talented friend of mine made <laughs> and donated to me when he moved house, um, which is great and it does extend the dining table into something usable, but. It also lives under the sofa, and I'm conscious that if we had a different sofa, 
it wouldn't fit anywhere still. So, yeah, it even... Never replace that sofa. Yeah, I think that's the obvious solution, isn't it? That's the only solution. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Tom, what was it that you wanted to tell us about this week? Uh, so I have a I have a specific mechanical thing that I want to infuse about and uh, discuss its broader things because I have been recently looking at the Lord of the Rings game. Ooh. So this is the game that got me into Warhammer way back when. Very same um, for me. Yeah, and the same for me actually. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. My dad got me the the starter box one Christmas and. Uh, regretted that, ever since yeah he clearly <laughs> do you think he knew where that one was going uh and and now i'm a podcaster um <laughs> the ultimate fate thanks dad uh yeah and i i love that uh that was i won't go too deep into the weeds on the rules of that because there's one specific thing i want to dial in on and that's the uh the might will and fate abilities so each hero in the lord of the rings game uh, every model is either a a hero or a warrior, like, mm-hmm. um, and each hero has uh, three three stores of points uh, called might, will, and fate. Uh, fate is the ability to shrug off wounds. It's effectively giving yourself a uh, a four plus save mm-hmm. against any damage you take. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is especially good in a game where heroes only have two or three wounds. Yeah. Some of them will have one wound. Um, will allows you to cast spells and adjust your uh, your courage tests, make you more likely to succeed on uh, on on courage rolls. Uh, but might is, I think, the most interesting one to talk about because. It is very similar to how Age of Sigma and 40k use command points, but it's on a per hero basis. That's interesting. So, in in Age of Sigma, uh, you have a certain number of command points that you get over the course of the game, and you can spend those. Uh, any any hero in your army will have an ability that they can give to a nearby unit, and there's some generic abilities that any hero can give. Uh, and in 40k, you have a much larger stock at the start of the game, and you have more specific things that aren't tied to heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, might, firstly, you get a lot of it. Each hero will have usually two or three points. And in a in a larger game, you might have three or four heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's tied to that specific hero. So you can use it for abilities that break the flow of the game like you can uh move and in lord of the rings that also means you charge right you can move before the other team does before uh you can move outside of the turn order you can fight at the start of the fight phase which then allows you if you win and if you kill your enemy you can then move on to another fight and fight again so those are those are very powerful abilities because they extend to uh the the allies near that hero right hmm. and one thing i particularly think is that if you tie because this is a per hero stock of points mm-hmm. it becomes much more relevant that this is that hero who's doing it right lord of the rings is a very 
it's a very narrative game, and it's based on a story about a a group of heroes right. that save the world. Sure. And so I think it ties the the strategic actions you're taking to the hero much more closely and interestingly than yeah some of the Age of Sigma stuff Def- does. Definitely seems more like thematically resonant. Like given that Lord of the Rings is this sort of old school you know, about heroes doing heroic things. The ability for your characters to actually almost act as these sort of inspirational locuses, that does seem really on point and well observed as a as a bit of like thematic rules writing. Yeah, that seems yeah. really good. I've for saying Lord of the Rings is the game that got me into the hobby back when I was a teenager. That was very much owning small plastic goblins and you know, shaking around in a tin. <laughs> I had no idea about this uh, this system within the game. It sounds really, really well thought out. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't played the game for uh, longer than I care to remember. Certainly more than 10 years. That's a lot more than 10 years. Yeah, me, um, me neither. But I, when, you, when you explained it, it definitely rang some bells. Because I do, I, I'm pretty sure this is in since the beginning or some variation of this system. Yeah. 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 Um, so the other thing you can spend might on is to affect individual roles made by that hero. Mm. So uh, you could, uh, you can spend it to increase or decrease a role by a single point. So um, it's great for heroic moments as as individual actions so aragorn rolls a three and needs a four to kill the troll you spend a point of might and you've done it um this again this will sound will sound a little bit weedy in like uh for people who are familiar only with age of sigma or new 40k where things will have quite high numbers of wounds but in lord of the rings if you've got three wounds you're pretty beefy yeah yeah um Aragorn has three, right, if I remember rightly. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of the level level we're talking about. Um, So, and there isn't uh, armor saves Mm. or anything. So if you hit and then wound, that is most most things in the game dead in in that one sequence of rolls. So the ability to nudge one of those dice is very significant. Yeah, because in Age of Sigma, some of the... the uh, some of the command abilities you use, particularly the generic ones, uh, any hero can use them, and you need to be near a hero to use it. So it be- it can feel a bit abstract. Like I would like I would like my blood warriors to run six inches this turn. Who is near enough to them to assign to that job? It's like um, it's like like giving somebody a task on uh on, on tracking software right who is who is close enough to this unit to be the one giving them this special rule and so it doesn't matter it doesn't say anything about mm. the hero at all other than that they are is there in a the middle area at the time in the area is available yeah it does who can attend this meeting yes. please it is thematically yes, exactly. strange isn't it to think if i'm a blood warrior and i can see the slaughter priest that i've been following devotedly five and a half inches up to the table from me, then I'm going to be inspired to try extra hard to charge in and join him. Maybe seven inches up the table from me. Unless he's the one yeah. that's completely in charge, I don't care. 
and and equally if um equally his mate over there is just as inspiring um and and so it doesn't it doesn't imply anything about the heroes themselves yeah. whereas when you tie it to a specific hero spending their resource um i think that becomes i think that becomes more narratively resonant i think it is here is the cool thing that Aragorn is doing. Here is the cool thing that Saruman is doing. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played the new version of the game. I'm hoping to at some point because I I collected a bunch of my old Lord of the Rings models over Christmas and so will be um will be painting those in the coming months. Repainting. Um yeah, I'm not I'm not brave enough to put my uh 13 year old painting jobs on the table um Aww. you should keep one you should keep one as a comparison <laughs> definitely for keep one. You know your history yeah <laughs> they're super characterful minis so i'm looking forward to seeing what you do yeah yeah and there's new um there's new command uh heroic actions that's it uh there's new ones so as well as the generic ones that just let you fudge with the turn order a bit there's new ones that let you do more specific things like move much faster without charging and only certain heroes have those Mm -hmm. so again it's the same kind of what can this specific person who might be a named character what can they do for you as opposed to what is the suite of jobs that needs doing (laughs) who is close enough to do it The other thing it reminds me a little bit of, which some of us in role models are familiar with recently, is the Age of Sigmar Soulbound RPG system. Some of us have been playing recently. So within that, you have a few different ways where you can can use focus in a skill, if you're trained in a skill, to bump dice up or down. And also the party has a shared resource called Soulfire, which you can use individually to kind of guarantee a success on a roll but you have a very limited stock of that and it's quite hard to get back and it does it does exactly the same albeit in a an rpg setting rather than a, a war game yeah. setting of creating narrative heroic moments so yeah i didn't realize there was anything yeah. with that in a kind of tabletop gaming sense so that sounds really good there because there is of course also the fortune and fate system from the uh the dark heresy line and the warhammer fantasy role-playing games those old older ones Mm. so in that case uh a fate point so you have a stock of fortune points and a stock of fate points uh fortune points you can spend once a day to re-roll a roll or um, there's a couple of other abilities. Reroll a roll is the most common, most useful one, I think. Um, so you'll have two or three of those, but that is that is tied to your stock of fate points. Uh, you permanently burn fate points to survive mm. a deadly injury in that game. Uh, like it's just a a narrative fiat. I know you've been thrown out of a spaceship, you spend the fate point, you come back, you are still alive. (laughs) But because your stock of fortune points is at its maximum, your stock of fate points, your ability to manipulate your luck and to do these extraordinary things goes down Mm. as you die. Oh, wow. So it's like a sort of your luck is starting to run out kind of mechanic. Yes. Yeah, you are feeling... 
doomed. Mm. Um, I'm playing... I've been in a uh, play-by-post, as in, like, forum-post uh, game of Warhammer Fantasy for coming up on 10 years now. Holy crap. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got one character who recently died after spending a long time at zero fate points. <laughs> it, it really does feel like you are doomed in a way that I have never got from uh, Dungeons & Dragons or a game like that where... You roll the dice for damage, and either it kills you or it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Right. You you are effectively fine until you die yeah. from a narrative perspective. Yeah. There's that. So, uh, yeah, the the old 40k games are like notoriously punishing. Mm-hmm. You can take a lot of damage very quickly. You will need those fate right. points. So it does it does mitigate that, but I also think it is really good for you can feel it hanging over your head you are you are fine at the moment mm-hmm. but if you go down this time you're not getting back up right. ever again and you are not you are not going to be able to mitigate the damage like um uh, one of the other people in that game uses their last fortune point every time to re-roll critical hit results that might cause the loss of a limb so you no longer have any for- fortune points anymore so now not only right. are you maybe going to die and stay down, Even if but you don't. <laughs> if you if you lose a limb, that's it. You don't get to re-roll right. that roll. It's gone. Yeah, yeah that's all, all an interesting combination of rules and an interesting tale of things. I would definitely... There's a part of me that would like to see something like the Might Points in Age of Sigma or some, some kind of resource system mm. divided up between the heroes. I'm sure somebody's going to tell me that the Bone Reapers or something like that has got this. So yeah, the Bone Reapers, I guess, are the are the closest in Age of Sigmar currently with their relentless discipline. But even then, I think that is the characters you have dictate how much you generate, and then you can apply it yeah. army wide, and it's not dependent on. Well, I range. think yeah, I think it almost makes quite a lot of thematic sense with the Bone Reapers specifically. Um, I have a Bone Reapers army, so I've encountered this a few times because they they're yeah. supposed to be this sort of we are the tax man. We would like your bones instead of money, please. Um, yeah, and there's quite a sort of defined command structure in their law and stuff. So I think it kind of makes sense for them. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, in that case, it represents uh, discipline rather yeah. than yeah hierarchy and discipline mm. and organization yes. rather than individual acts of heroism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And. Yeah, one one other note I want to throw in because I always I, I I've always loved this as a mechanic. If your character if the character dies in the narrative of Lord of the Rings, and apologies if I'm gonna spoil this for anybody, um, they have zero fate points in the game. So Theoden and <laughs> uh, I think the version of Boromir that's in the fellowship uh-huh. and uh, Gandalf, all of them have Gandalf the Great, all of them have zero fate points. Oh, that's <laughs> that's really supposed cool. to die. You cannot yeah, they cannot because uh, their their fate is literally to die. They cannot mitigate these injuries as they come in. So does that mean that everyone's favourite um, orc from the third film, Gothmog, has zero fate because his <laughs> destiny is to get squashed by a trebuchet or something? I can't, I can't remember. Um, I I can't remember, but I would think so. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> everyone's favourite Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> He's certainly mine. <laughs> 
I uh, the Forge the Forge World has been doing um, their own line of Lord of the Rings characters that are scraping increasingly deep into the bottom of the barrel. Like there's Gothmog's lieutenant who had a skull on his head. <laughs> there's Anborn and Mablung, two of Faramir's rangers, one of whom is good at making bird calls. Wow. Please tell me there's a rule that represents that somehow. There is. Good. Um, I saw. I saw. I haven't read that Tolkien book. Tolkien would be proud. The FAQ that they've FAQ'd his ability to make bird calls. Um, Too OP. Keeps attracting owls to the table. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm. I'm looking very much forward to to trying that game again, to painting those models. Maybe that's what I'll be able to talk about next next time if I'm on the podcast again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like Lord of the Rings is a a pit that I am dangling perilously over <laughs> despite having sort of had various kits at various points the so the possibility of actually getting a game with someone i know is uh yeah perhaps yeah. a dangerous prospect and what about yourself rich what have you uh what have you brought to the table for us this month well um i want to talk about something that's very close to my heart uh being a primarily a painter more than a gamer and that is the army painting as a discipline um sort of comparing and contrasting that to painting for display or for competition this is all quite personal and it might get a bit wanky and i don't mean to tell anyone how to paint (laughs) their models or how they should enjoy painting their models so just bear in mind it's it's my opinions my experiences uh if you if you want to ignore everything i say that is fine i wouldn't judge you for it's probably good life guideline so i mean we mentioned earlier um last year in particular i painted a lot of stuff i tend to paint quite fast when i've got a project in mind um and i think getting an army laid out on the table is is always my goal and i think you know i could almost go to a game that i've organized set my army up on the table and my opponent set up their lovely army on the table and just kind of stand back and look at it, have a beer or a gigantic pint of Diet Coke as seems to be the the gaming event staple uh, and then just pack it all away again, go home. That's kind of... I mean, you wouldn't even like trot around a little horsey and maybe one go or two as a yeah. treat. <laughs> but yeah, so seeing it all set up on nice terrain is my... Yeah. Uh, raison d'etre if you like when it comes to army paintings so yeah yeah i guess i don't have like a top five list or anything i guess i just wanted to cover some tips and tricks and mm-hmm. areas to focus on well it's to be definitely interesting to me because i'm very much in the same boat as you like i'm not somebody I th- i've i've bought one model in my entire hobby journey that I didn't never that I've never intended to use on the tabletop um and I don't ever paint for display really yeah um yeah I'm definitely army painter and tend to go quick as a result of that as well I just think it's an it's an interesting thing to consider and now uh with YouTube's Patreons Instagram even yeah, like your static social medias like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, people can put up little square photos that are a complete guide to how they did yeah. 
this section of blue or this bit of robe on an elf. It's yeah. there's so many resources out there that um combined with especially I think the kind of citadel method stuff that Warhammer TV puts out and the games mm-hmm. workshop put in their battle tones and Yeah. That... Which is very much what I tend to follow as a sort of, you know, corporate yeah. shill yeah. i basically <laughs> just do that well yeah i'm i'm the same or have been until very recently as well um i tend to use primarily citadel paint still because it's what i've got a rack full of sat in front of me um but it's it's important to note that kind of that citadel method when you take it to its extreme is the heavy metal box art mm-hmm. effectively That's and true. those guys are incredibly yeah, yeah. incredibly talented Secret methods that they don't tell us about, yeah. notwithstanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you do see a lot of armies and a lot of beautiful armies where every single model has every little edge, edge highlighted, and then another highlight on the corners yeah. and another highlight beyond that sometimes. And think, um, again, it's not to pass judgment on how anyone else spends their time or enjoys their painting, but you think, like, probably could have had that on the table a lot quicker. And I found myself chastising myself over over that before. Fundamentally, I enjoy having having a painted army more than I enjoy painting. It's funny you say that because I I really enjoy painting, but also I wouldn't do it if the game didn't exist. I'm I'm fairly sure of that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I would agree with that. I mean, I I enjoy painting well enough. It's just I'm definitely doing it for the end goal of this stuff is painted now mm. rather than just just as an individual enjoyable way to spend time um but there's there's lots of other there's lots of other benefits to it like um it's nice to be do, doing something that isn't staring at a screen that kind of thing yeah but i uh, one of the things i enjoy about it is finding i don't want to say easy or lazy um because that's like a a judgment efficient on something that i do for fun <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's go with that. I like finding that kind of uh, efficient methods for getting effects that I kind of like. Like, I don't really, I don't do a lot of things like mixing paint mm. or mm. that kind of thing. Um, but I like the idea that there is, basically, there, there's a relatively simple recipe for whatever effect I want to get. Right. And I can get close enough and I'm not spending loads of extra hours of my life mixing paints together to get precisely the right yes. kind of red when actually there's lots of reds and one of them will be all right. <laughs> yeah. So I think what I would say with this is, and again, I'm not somebody who's painted as much as Rich, but I, I painted 400 models last year. I'm doing all right. Nothing um, by comparison. Well, exactly. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a rank amateur compared to you, Rich. Um. But, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, how do you do it so quickly? And I don't really have any particular method other than just... (sighs) It's almost like the fuck it philosophy. Like, if you get something a little bit wrong, if you just, like, overspill the edge a little bit, um, if your base coating doesn't look perfect, just go to the next step. Just keep going. And you'll probably correct it as you do it. And if you don't, models are really small and probably no one will ever notice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the the no one will ever notice test is is a really good one. So occasionally, just sort of sitting back and holding the model at arm's yeah. length and thinking, this is twice as close to me as it will ever be on the table, <laughs> and about three times closer than it will be to my opponent <laughs> is 
And it's gonna be and it's gonna be surrounded by forty others. Yeah, exactly. Like I can tell you guys a little secret and don't tell anyone else on the on the planet about this. If you look at the uh my Bone Reaper army and if you look at the Mortec guards, you crack your eyes in between their uh their shields and their body, you'll see that the only thing that I've done with them after having uh like base coated them grey is just do a little dry brush in there. They're not painted like wood at the back of the shield, like the texture says. Just dry brush it a bit with the same colour as the skeleton, and no one's ever going to see it, and it looks fine. It's outrageous. I'm reporting you to the Warhammer police for that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> criminal of conscience. conscience. <laughs> I think that is, um, that is a really good tip, though. Just think about what people will see, what other techniques you're going to be using, yeah. and whether whether something actually matters or not. So... Pete right. mentioned messy base coating. I think probably about three models in my entire painting history have I base coated neatly. Um, yes, very much. Because when you're washing it, yeah, you're gonna it's wash gonna it. get fixed. It's get, when you when you're layering, when you're edging it, yeah, it's gonna get fixed. Exactly. Um, beyond that, even if it's on the underside of a model, if it's anything that's yeah. not upward facing, nobody's I'm gonna not, see I'm it. I'm not gonna fix it really unless you can see it. Uh, it's very easy to take photos of your models and get a bit disconcerted with how they look. Um, mm. But again, yeah, that photo is twice as big as the model is going to be, yeah. even if you're holding it up to your face, probably. So And generally as well, much better lit. Yes. Like if you go to a gaming hall or something, it's not going to be this sort of light box environment that most photography seems yeah. to get done in. Yeah, gaming universally happens in venues that are sort of... <laughs> Dank, dank and grimy and of... underlit or <laughs> completely overly brightly top down. What are you saying lit? about my uh, theoretical gaming room in my house? Well, I can't you, believe you you've prejudged it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, this is this is one of the things that I wanted to react again with the uh, the hobby roundup posts that I've been doing mm. for the site. Is it kind of to give the to give a perhaps a more inviting experience from the hobby side in that it's not all the super cool light box instagram look it's that you know sometimes we're, we're all just doing this on the same desk we work at that kind yes. of thing mm. um uh, some of some of us don't thin our paints and it turns out pretty fine <laughs> and um that was kind of scorched by the fact that all of the stuff from this community that people submitted was really fucking good. <laughs> we all picked uh, our best photos. There's Tom. me, <laughs> there's me um, using a white t-shirt as a backdrop for oh my, my God. Titans. I didn't um, even tell that. That worked really well, yeah. considering. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing that kind of thing, and everybody That's else top has got tip these, right there. these beautiful looks. Um, as with as with everything, everything else, social media has ruined it in that now it's <laughs> a thing you can do for yes. for clout and if you're lucky for money, um, as opposed to just yeah. a thing you can do for the fun of it, for the or for the pleasure yeah. of having done it. Basically um, now unrealistic Instagram body images apply to orcs as well. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why they've started putting nipples on them? Well, I'm <laughs> Also, the petitions that I created. But let's, <laughs> let's move on from that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I could waffle about army painting for 
forever pretty much i th I maybe came into this thinking like oh, i'll give my top five tips but i don't yeah i don't know what i would pick because every army is different like my necron army a lot of that effort is saved by them being predominantly gw lead belcher color which i just spray out of a can i get a null oil gloss wash and those mm. bits are done and then i change the color of some of them with a little contrast uh, glaze is a generous word. It's not that careful. Um, on the joints and stuff, I think I use <laughs> skeleton horde. Drop of contrast in all the joints, so they look a little bit more mechanical. And that means I can uh, focus on things like the gold bits and the blue bits. But really, like the con the concession to detail there even is the top edges of blue shoulder pads are highlighted, so that if you look down on them, there's a bit of visual interest. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you watch some army painting tutorials from kind of more established painters online a lot of them will be saying like don't even bother with that like right. a lot of people will advocate doing some like general lighting simulation with an airbrush and then never edge highlighting anything and actually as long as the lighting on each model is done pretty well you look back you put them on the table sit back and look at them yeah. from a distance and they look incredible yeah, if there's one wrap-up message from this, it's don't judge your army either by the coolest model you've seen on Instagram or the best model you've ever painted. Because right. I have painted... Only one for... model can be the best model you've ever painted. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And like I have painted for competitions before. I've never been fortunate enough or skilled enough to like win a golden demon or a finalist pin or anything but it's a different skill set and i've i'm really really happy with the things i've created but try not to then sit that model next to the hundred model army you painted in the same amount of time jillian the imperial guards grunt isn't going to look the same <laughs> as your golden demon entry no absolutely yeah yeah um yeah i guess that's hopefully a positive message from the podcast. Paint an army, put it on the table. Um, be happy with it. Be happy with how it looks. We've talked in our in our Discord server a lot recently about that old school uh, still mania image that pops up every now and then from is it Nigel Stillman? I think his name is of that sounds right. Build. He seems like a Nigel. Yeah. Build respect to the Nigels of the world. <laughs> build one army <laughs> that's the right amount of points. Varnish it, never change anything about it, and play <laughs> with it until the end of time. Um, and don't ever revisit it once it's painted. I obviously that's taken to an extreme, and is from the pages of a white dwarf that's probably almost as old as me. Yeah, but I think there is a valuable message there, which is just acknowledge what you're painting for gaming and what kind of level you want to pitch that at, and then what you're paying for display or for just a challenge to yourself and acknowledging yeah. the difference. I mean, between... ultimately, this is a hobby, not a job, so you should just be doing whatever you find enjoyable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do it do it badly if you want. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's fun to do it's stuff fine. badly. Just, just, do it, just do it badly and don't put that much effort into it, and it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, painted armies look better than unpainted armies, even if they're done really sloppily. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess even if you want to cast judgment on your own armies, just don't do it to someone else. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, in that case then, we'll wrap up for this episode of Tiny Plastic People Podcasts. So, where can you find us? The best place to find us is at tinyplasticpeople.com as we mentioned at the start of the episode. That's our kind of collaborative blog project, so you'll see hobby roundups from our contributors, news articles, uh, if and when there is news to be shared that you want to hear our thoughts on. Um, there's also some build logs on there, some painting logs, and some, let's call them opinion pieces, just about what people love about the hobby. <laughs> so check it out, give it a read, send us any feedback that you'd like to, either via comments on our social media posts or email to thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter and on at tinyplasticpals. So you'll see links to our articles and pictures of some of our models there as well. In terms of individually, Pete, where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Fienya, F-I-Y-E-N-Y-A-A. Cool. How about you, Tom? Where can we find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Le Swordfish, that's L-E Swordfish, all one word, or on Instagram at also Le Swordfish, but it, there's an underscore in it, L-E underscore Swordfish. Cool. Uh, and the best place to find me is on Twitter at Rich Nutter, and you'll find me sharing a lot of the TPP posts as well. Just sharing. Just sharing. Oversharing <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Depends on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we'll wrap it up there until next time. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, we hope you keep enjoying the hobby as much as we do. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>